I have no idea. That just went wrong. It's perplexing. But I remember Dustin Hoffman was like, I think we're in trouble. <laughs> so that was the first time I thought. I think that might have been at Joe Allen's. We went there after the screening, I believe. And Dustin saddled up to the bar and said, we're in trouble. He said Sydney wanted a quiche, but he got a lousy frittata or something like that. <laughs> <But> yeah. <laughs> and there's the name of the episode, Lousy Frittata. <laughs> Cocktails at Table 7, inside New York's Joe Allen. In May of 1965, Joe Allen began life as a cozy neighborhood bar and restaurant in New York City's Hell's Kitchen. Located just a few blocks from Broadway, Joe's quickly developed a highly loyal clientele of young performers, writers, and creative types. The food was great, the drinks were stiff, and the fabled flop wall celebrating Broadway's most notorious bombs gave the room an added touch of insider charm. Over the decades, Joe Allen grew into a New York institution, and on this podcast, we'll celebrate Joe's history with longtime regulars who know it best. We'll hear from actors, producers, writers, musicians, neighbors, and friends who will share with us just what makes Joe Allen the place to be. So here's to old friends, new friends, and cocktails at table seven. I mean, I don't think we need to talk much. No. We're like, hey, look who talked to us. We have a Joe Allen all-star. We, we do. So, Dana, tell me, who is on the show this week? Matthew Broderick. Matthew Broderick? No. How about that for a score? That, that That's a big score. Plaza Suite opened just after we recorded this episode, and I got to go to opening night. How cool is that? You did not. Don't lie, Dana. I did. It was really fun. Star-studded. Just lots of fun. It's of a time. You go. You laugh. They're really funny. Um, it was so nice to be in a room full of people laughing again, because I've seen a bunch of stuff since things have reopened, but that was like the first flat-out comedy. Yeah. People just belly laughing all night. It was great. Fantastic. We should mention that the show had to shut down for a while, but then came back and extended its run so everyone could see it. Yeah. All right. Great. And we'll just say, stay tuned to the very, very, very end. There's a little Easter egg. We just want to make sure you hear it. And uh, yeah. So Dana, play them on. Matthew Broderick. On the Five Star Podcast. Cocktails at Table 7. That's fine. We definitely use that. Like Sydney Lebet, we're moving on. I think we probably may look familiar. You may not know from where you've seen us. I do know. But we're all in and out of the building. Um, we love having you come to the restaurant. Well, that's good to hear. Good. You really seem like you enjoy going out after the show. I do. I do. Like, I'm ashamed of it, but I do. That's, that's the only reason I really like to do shows. Um, so you, you grew up in the West Village, right? Yes, I did. I grew up in, on Washington Square. I'm wondering if growing up with uh, a dad who was an actor, if Joe Allen was a part of your life as a kid. I don't think it was. I don't remember it. Uh, you know, my I didn't go out with my dad like after a show and stuff. You know what I mean? Like, and we didn't go to that many many plays to tell you the truth. Sometimes I 
people say, well, it's the first Broadway show. And I'm like, well, my parents didn't take me that much. Um, my dad worked all over the country and he worked on Broadway a bunch of times. Every time my dad did a Broadway show, it would close in a, between two days and two weeks. <laughs> it's the strange, it's the weirdest thing. There's like, he has like four of them. So uh, maybe Joe Allen's gave him uh, a little, uh, you know, panic attack. I don't know. But uh when I started to want to be an actor, Joe Allen's was very much the place to uh, to go. You know, I, I remember I went to an acting class. Um, I was trying to find an acting class. I hadn't become an actor yet, really. And um, but I remember going with the, a group of actors to Joe Allen's. I remember it very vividly. Who I had just watched do you know exercises and stuff. And it was one of the first times I felt like a New York actor. The brick wall and you know you guys and every. It just it's really feels like part of history when you're in there. You know, several people we've talked to have had similar stories about someone bringing them there and having this moment of oh wow, I want to be a part of like all of the things that are happening here. Yeah, it was. It felt extremely exciting to be in there, and uh, you know, small and insular as it is, it's a, it's kind of a big deal when you uh, when you're in your late teens and somebody finally takes you there. I just hoped I could someday be some sort of part of it, you know. Well, it happened. It happened. <laughs> well, congratulations. <laughs> I, I'm sure it's one of your proudest yeah. achievements that you are. Yes, very integral. To I our know. Life. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and Barson Trolley. I've spent a lot of money in both places. That's my my claim to fame. And I love Bars and Trolley too, and Orso, and um, and I used to bring my bike and stick it in what became Centralia. I remember you back in the day with your electric scooter, like fifteen twenty years ago. Um, you're a pioneer. Yeah. I'm one of the first. I'm one of the first. I uh, I saw them in Europe and decided to bring it stateside. Now, how long does it take to get from Midtown to the West Village on a scooter? On an electric bike, I would say 20 minutes or 17 minutes, depending on how you ride. Are you a crazy man? No, I'm not. In my in my youth, I was, but now I'm very, uh, I'm like the guys who used to annoy me, you know, <laughs> get out of the way, God damn it. But I'm, now I'm them. But I'm very, I don't go fast. I'm scared to go fast now. And actually, to tell you the truth, now all the bike lanes doesn't feel, I don't know what the numbers are, but it feels much less dangerous. Like I did it even in high school. I rode a bike to the Upper West Side to my high school. I went to uh, Walden, which is not there anymore, on 88th Street in Central Park West. And uh, as did my friend Kenny Lonergan, the director and writer. And we met there and um, did theater at Walden High School. And that's, that's how we both kind of got started. And to this day, you guys are friends and you collaborate very successfully on some great, great stuff. It little was... parts. He gives me little parts usually. But... <laughs> good, good, good yes. parts. Some, some yeah, of them are good. really good. I make, I make them good, you know. <laughs> so you're now back on Broadway in Plaza Suite after a two-year delay. How has it been um, jumping back into that? You guys were ready to start previews here, I think, right, at the time? I know. And... The day everything shut down was... It was the day before the invite address, but we felt ready and we had actually started to call people to invite friends. Although in those last few days, hockey and basketball and th everything kept shutting down. So we were very sure that we were on borrowed time, you know, wasn't really a shock, but it was sort of a shock. And we we're on stage, you know, with wigs and costumes and, and we saw like people chatting in the house and more and more people chatting in the house and not paying attention to the what was going on on stage, you know, and uh, 
so we knew something was up and then sure enough they were like well, let's all meet in the house and producers were there and told us we were going to stop for i think two weeks they said and two years later <laughs> rip van winkle happened we all have arthritis and yeah it's, and this show's about 15 minutes longer slower. <laughs> slower what i didn't hear you it must have been exciting, though, then to finally get back on the stage and be doing something that you guys seem pretty passionate about. It was thrilling because we kept thinking it would, oh, no, we'll never, nobody's all going to want to come back. And how will this ever, us and a lot of other shows have been going, went through this. So, you know, our producers were very gung-ho about keeping it going and um, they were able to leave the set alone. It's not like we knew this date was coming. It kept moving. We, we thought we'd start again one year later. Then Sarah did it, was doing her show, or I, I did a, it. Everything seemed impossible. And then, so we're very, very fortunate and grateful that we have absolutely everybody back, the whole cast, all, all the understudies. So cool. Rehearsal was like just trying to remember things. The stage manager had very careful notes of exactly when we did everything. So it was literally like, where do I put this glass? So a lot of time was just spent trying to remember where we had been. And then once we got that down, we uh, started to try to think, well, what do we, how do you feel now? But it was hard to know whether, to, what you, do I try to keep exactly what I did from two years that I don't remember perfectly? Or do I try to let myself do whatever I'm feeling like now? You know, that was always the the question. And Did anything change radically at all? Or do you just feel like, no, this was good before? We, you know, honestly, we thought it was good before. And uh, also, we didn't have any new ideas. Um, <laughs> but, uh, I mean, things come, you know, it evolves. So I bet it looks fairly different from last time. I mean, of course, for our listeners, if they don't know, it's a Neil Simon play. And Neil Simon is a big part of your history, the beginnings of your career. And we're curious, what was it like back then being this young adult doing uh -huh. this sort of autobiographical yeah. material and revisiting his work now? Yeah, it, it's, um, it's amazing to me to realize it's, what is it, almost... 40 years. And I remember Neil as this statesman-like figure, you know, this not elderly, but, you know, middle-aged, much older than me. And now I realize I'm him and he's not here. And <laughs> it's very strange. But that, that was very important to me, you know, because it was my first lead in a play, really. And, um, I, you know, I, I auditioned for a casting director first or whatever, and then end up auditioning in a, on a stage, on a Broadway stage, which I don't think I'd been on before. And there he was, you know, this guy out there, a you know, bald guy with big glasses, you know, <laughs> handsome, tall, laughing, and oh. which was very that much must a have relief. Felt good, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and uh, I remember meeting him. I was a little like, oh, it's it's a guy. Like I thought it was a and a place, you know, Neil Simon. I thought <laughs> yeah. like these movies and plays come from uh, the Neil Simon industry. I didn't think it was just going to be a guy with glasses. It was like, oh, he wrote the play. Never occurred to me it was just this man, and it was a, such a wonderful play and experience. And then Biloxi too, and um, and it, two two movies I did with Neil. Mm -hmm. So I also did yeah. the Odd Couple mm -hmm. in between those. But uh, it's nice, to, you know, that Matt Mulhern, who was in Biloxi Blues, who played uh, Wykowski, mm -hmm. the kind of meathead, tough guy, meathead. Exactly. Yeah. He came the other night to um, Plaza Suite, and it was just it was great to see him and be doing this play and. Uh, 
because he he had the insider take on Neil the way I did, and nobody else around right now right. was there for that. So, and we have posters of old of all of Neil's shows. They did a beautiful display、oh, wow. at the theater. You can see the window cards, like I think of every play he did. His wife Elaine kept kept track of them, and the ones that they didn't have, they they found, and they put up this beautiful display. This is so cocktails at table seven ish. It is. This is. This is. I'm so、posters. happy to hear this is the. The posters are at least as good as the show. <laughs> I'll tell you that. So, how did the idea of revisiting Plaza Suite with Sarah come about? It started. We did a reading of it. John Hickey, the director, had organized me and Sarah doing a、uh, a kind of stage reading at Symphony Space, and it just went. It seemed like the audience was so happy to hear it, you know. So we, so we were like, well, that that doesn't happen every day. Why can't? Why couldn't we actually do the play? Just we were just talking, you know. <laughs> But John Hickey was like, <laughs> he was listening. Know, two days later, he came with a. A contract and a big pen and said, "You remember? Do you remember、yeah. what you said? Remember what you said? You remember what you said? Yeah, at you know at Centrale or yeah. After not being on a stage, ha- have you had some like you know? Well, this is hard getting back into the. This takes a lot of energy. It does take a lot of energy, but if you keep your day kind of quiet before it, it's not so. It's a pretty short work day. Much as we all complain, <laughs> it's about four hours. You know, it's true. So it's not like that bad, and、uh, but it, it's you know, I think it's just throwing it out there to a large、true. group of people. It's its own, it's yeah, its own demand. The, it's a different demand. absolutely. Yeah, the kind of unpleasant feeling of showing <laughs> off and, and、uh, begging people to like you takes a toll. But it, it's but it's also great to. Go, I love getting there and seeing everybody and、uh, yeah, having my tea and. Looking at who left pastry out and、uh, <laughs> the green room, you know, I, I really like the camaraderie of、uh, the theater. Do you have a pre-show ritual? Like, do you have your thing that you do? Not really. I like to get there. The one thing I don't like is to get there close to being late or something like that. I don't want that added anxiety.、Um, so I get there kind of early. A state not round, not compared to other people though, maybe fifteen minutes before half hour or something. But、um, I remember a stage manager told me once, I can always tell the married people who have kids because they get here early. You know, they they stay late. They、um, you know they like to eat here at the, the- at the theater and they have everything organized really nicely and and the. Young single people are like, oh God, it's seven twenty nine. I just gotta gotta get out of here now, <laughs> and they can't wait to get away. But the people with kids at home are like, yeah,、oh, I got here at five o'clock for an eight o'clock <laughs> show. You know, like <laughs> there is a ritual to it, I guess. But I'm not, I'm not a big ritual. But you know,、uh, Gene Sachs, who directed the early Neil Simon stuff I did, once told me, and I don't think this is true, but he's like, Elizabeth Franz was in the play, and she was mad at me because I had been. Harried and not late, but like was getting my girlfriend a cab or something. I was not ready in time for the start exactly. I thought I was ready, but it was harried. And she was like, "You have to carve that time out for yourself." And you know, she being very motherly with me that you know that's important. Don't let anybody mess with your your time. And、uh, Gene Sachs said, "No, really, I always I always think you're better if you、uh, are kind of late and harried." 
<laughs> it's like, what do you mean? He said, I just, I think it's kind of better if you run in from the train station and get your clothes on and run on stage. That's probably the best for you. <laughs> like, because you're not in your head then or something? You're just. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, I think he was serious. He was like, I don't think you're somebody who should be all like calm and prepared. It was interesting to hear that, you know, nobody ever tells you that kind of thing, except Gene Sachs. He directed enough shows, he would know. Yeah, he, and he's an actor too. Yeah, he was. Uh, you know, some actors are better uh, chatting right up till the take, you know, at a, on a film, you know, they, they like to talk and laugh and then rolling and then they go right into the scene and other people put on headphones and chant and, you know, mm -hmm. have a little peaceful moment and it's everybody's different. Whatever works for you, yeah. Well, then you went stage, 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 and then you went you went to the movies. Was that a hard transition? Well, you know, truthfully, I'm, uh, the the first movie I did it was a Neil Simon movie, and it was before the play. I, I did I did Torch Song, Torch Song trilogy off Broadway, and then I did uh, War Games and and uh, Max Lucan Returns, which is a Neil Simon movie before Brighton Beach. So. I actually started both at the same time. You know, I, I, what I mean to say is I didn't know what I was doing in either medium. <laughs> <laughs> and Max Dugan Returns has a, that, that cast. I know. Marsha yeah. Mason, Donald Sutherland, Jason Robards is playing your grandfather. Uh, Herbert Ross. Yeah, Neil Simon. It was a, it's a big, big time start, you know. I didn't know what the hell I was doing there, I did, but there I was. And uh, Jason Robards was extraordinarily nice to me. That's like, great. From the day I got there, he was like, he had known my, he had worked with my father. So he, you know, he took me to lunch at the commissary. He was just always making sure I was invited to whatever thing was happening and uh, really helped me out a lot. I once asked my mom, I was like, God, I don't even know how to, how I would thank him for something like that. And she's like, by you do that to other people, that's how you can thank him. Absolutely. So. We had John Pankow on, and he had done Iceman Cometh with mm -hmm. Jason Robards and all these really distinguished guys, and he was so intimidated yeah. to be around that. And he said they were wonderful, and he said the thing that really made him comfortable was they had to be on the stools, and he saw uh -huh. them all blowing up their cushions <laughs> That's right. to put them on the stools, because they were going to have to sit on a stool all day. Yeah. And it was like, okay, cool. Yeah, the, yeah, that's really funny. One of the first rehearsals... Uh, uh, Jason Robards, I remember the, the director, Herbert Ross, said, you know, I don't want to give you a line reading, but I think it should be more. He was trying to give him a direction. Yeah. But Jason was like, no, give me the line. I like line readings. Yeah. Give me, just give me the line reading. I'll take help from anywhere. I had never heard that before. So, no, he was very, um, very loose and he was being funny, too, you know. And, uh, yeah, he was going. I remember he was heading to New York one weekend or he kept going. And I was like, what do you, and then you come back Monday, well, that's such a lot of flying. What are you doing in New York? And he said, it's an alimony. I got to go, I'm having alimony problems. And he said, I'm going to New York because they're, they're presenting me with a belt. I'm now the alimony king, <laughs> the king of alimony. World <laughs> champion. <laughs> yeah. I remember you did a reading of Virginia Woolf with Uta Hagen at HB, uh, maybe for Uta's 80th. Now, you have a long history with HB Studios, right? Yeah, absolutely. My dad did a bunch of plays there. I did my very first play at HB Studio with uh, my dad, a play written by Horton Foote called uh, Valentine's Day. 
I went to HB. I studied with Uda. I read scenes for Herbert for his writing class. Um, and I watched Austin Pendleton teach a little bit. And then I got a job and and decided to stop learning completely. <laughs> yeah, I was like, well, sorry. So long, suckers. Well, they're great teachers at HP. I mean, they can point to you and say, one lesson, you're good to go. Yeah, that's it. And then many years later, suddenly it came up that I would play, uh, what's his name? The um, Oh, the, the not George, but the teacher that comes with his honey. Yeah. Nick, I think. Yeah, yeah. Pretty amazing. Was it intimidating doing that play or doing that play with her? A, a little bit. Uda was not, I'll say, as as friendly as Jason. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, but uh, Jonathan Price, yeah. he was in it, and he was lovely. And so was she. I'm not trying to uh, beat up on Uda. And she was brilliant. Um. And Mia Farrow oh, was playing wow. my uh, fiance or something That's like that. That's great casting. She'd so be was, awesome. Yeah, God, she was great and very kind and uh, kept me calm when Uda would be particularly nasty to me. She'd be like, take it, take it easy, Matthew. Take it easy. <laughs> yeah, that was an amazing thing. I remember the audience went crazy over it, over Uda. Anyway, yeah. do you remember that? Did Yeah, they went totally crazy for it. Just thinking about it, the whole cast and your performance popped into my head. Yeah, I, the only problem I have, just to make sense of it a little, is is I had when they asked me to do it, I was like, I'm not really free. I had I had a commitment, which was to go to a uh, a boxing <laughs> match in uh, Las Vegas, but it was a big deal. It was like a Tyson. I got these tickets and all, and I didn't want to miss that, so I was like, I can't do the reading. I'm sorry. And they're like, No, it's no problem at all. You just missed two days of rehearsal. It's absolutely fine. Please do it anyway. I said, Okay. Ah. And I missed my two but days no one of told rehearsal. And I, and well, I, they said they did, but I got back and Uda was like, and where were you again? And I was like, I was at a, at a, and she was like, oh, a prize fight. With her cigarette <laughs> in her hand. And uh, glaring, a, a prize fight. And uh, she, I don't think she ever uh, forgave me for that. <laughs> you can't be friends with everybody. It, it, it's a, I'm sure it was okay. But you were talking about how yeah. the audience went, Crazy. I have to share. Oh, my God. I have to share an audience going crazy moment. My friend worked for Clear Channel 21 years ago, and I got to go to see you and Nathan Lane in the opening of The Producers, and I've never seen people react to anything yeah, the way they react else. to that. Now, I, I couldn't have been further away. I, I might as well have been at the Meadowlands <laughs> because I was so far away from it. But it didn't matter because it was yeah. – I mean, you were great in that. And yeah. my question is, did you think it was going to turn out that well? No, none of us knew. You know, I I, I love, since I was a kid, Mel Brooks. Like like many boys my yes, age, yes. my time, <laughs> went to sleep with the 2,000-year-old man playing on my record player. And uh, so the fact that I got a chance to work with him was uh, incredible luck. So I definitely was thrilled to be asked to do it, but I didn't think or know that it would come out. None of us did. It, it seems like a no-brainer in a way now, but, you know, we were taking this perfect movie and possibly just not doing it as well. Yeah. So, uh, you know, and, and Mel wasn't an experienced songwriter, and he'd written all these songs, but then you heard them, and you were like, these sound great. And yeah. then 
And then by the time the audience came, and, and even the first audiences in the rehearsal room that we would have, you know, like the gatherings of people who worked in the office or whatever, people just were ready at that moment for that. Like they, from this time it began, the, the They were the ready play. for it. Yeah, we, it wasn't really us. It was like, we started it in Chicago, the first real audience in Chicago, I remember, and, and uh, like a half an audience, just the balcony they filled up and we heard this roaring right from this you know half a tip five pages into the play and uh and i remember nathan i don't think it was the first one of those evenings in chicago under his breath on stage said to me it's not that funny (laughs) (laughs) it was to them and you know i always thought incorporating the writer and the director into the performance of springtime for now brilliant yeah it was pretty clever and uh, I think it might have been Ockrent, the the original. I don't know who thought of having um, uh, Leo also get run off with Ula. Ula. Yeah, that I'm was a sure great that twist. Really, that would really happen. But it did tie up the ending <laughs> nicely. But I don't know that in real life, Leo Bloom would have the nerve to run off with Ula Inga Hansen, Benson Janssen, Tollens, Fadens, Fonsen. Only who knows? These are the things you have to struggle with while you're... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember my friend and I watching it, and they were just throwing so much stuff at you, and feeling as an audience member like, geez, this is really a pleasure. Yeah, it was a total pleasure for all of us to do. I mean, this, you know, it really was. And Gary Beach at his best, and Roger Bart, and Katie Huffman, and Brad Oscar, everybody was just uh, amazing. There's so many things to talk to you about. We haven't touched on all of your films. We could talk about Ferris Bueller. We could talk about all the the things everyone knows about. My family favorite as a kid was Project X. We would watch that. My sister and I enjoyed watching that (laughs) over and over again. You know, that might sound a little strange. I don't hear that very often. (laughs) Yeah, that's good though. Was the same guys who wrote uh, War Games. So I was like, sure. You know, yeah, I was good, I guess. Jeffrey Jones said, it's not really realistic that a chimp would fly. (laughs) But I'd already shot it, and I was like, damn it. I guess that might be true, (laughs) come to think of it. (laughs) Did some movies you get to keep the wardrobe? Did you get to keep the chimp? (laughs) (laughs) No, you can't keep the chimp. And uh, not only that, but the chimp is about four or five when we worked with them. And then they turn six or seven and they rip your face off and, and, and eat you. Yeah. I don't that's the story. I don't know if it's true. No, that's there's terrible stories about people being brutalized by chips that they raised from <laughs> Yeah. All the trainers were like they're nice now because they're they're children, but when they when they hit puberty, well, they just want to kill everyone. <laughs> just like us. <laughs> In getting ready to talk to you today, we watched some of your dad's work, and uh, we were lucky enough to watch the wonderful adaptations he did of the Gene Shepard stories. Yeah, he did two of them. Phantom of the Open Hearth and uh, The Great American Fourth of July. Which I watched the whole thing of. It's yeah, on YouTube. It's, yeah. really, it's really funny. He loved Gene Shepard. They had a, you know, those are very, we were very proud of those at our, at our house. Well, they're, they're sweet and they're, you can watch, they're on YouTube. And then I watched The Freshman, which I hadn't seen since it first came out. God, I haven't seen that since then either, I don't think. Yeah. I had heard that you, no one really thought that he was going to show up. No. <laughs> Never thought he would. Not in a million years. <laughs> they were like, well, you want to play this part? Marlon Brando was like, yeah, but you're just saying that so that I'll do it. <laughs> and then, you know, I don't know, Barnard Hughes comes or something. I don't know. Um, that would be That good. would be really something. Uh, yeah, it would be good. Jerry Orbach. <laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> That's the perfect. Yeah. But I'd still be like, oh, come on, man. You're just Jerry Orbach. Yeah, Jerry Orbach would have been perfect for it. But I wanted to meet Marlon Brando, you know? But you got a lot of wonderful... There, I mean, there's Maximilian Schell playing the crazy Well, chef. everybody thought, because we all were <laughs> pretending that Marlon Brando was going to be in it. Bruno so Kirby. Oh, I love... Bruno Kirby was a very dear friend of mine. And uh, I love that man. And uh, that's where I met him. He was so excited that uh, Marlon was coming that the day that Marlon was going to not show up at the hotel in Toronto, <laughs> he uh, he sat in the lobby like a detective with a newspaper. He Waiting wanted to see him. Marlon arrive. And I don't remember if he... He was there for hours. And I, I don't know if he ever actually saw him. But yeah, the next day we had a rehearsal at the director's apartment and he was late. Marlon, so I was like, oh yeah, now's the thing where we get the call. And sure enough, the doorbell rang an hour and a half late or something, or half an hour late, and he was very apologetic, very large. <laughs> yes. Sun, sunglasses, a hat of some kind, uh, maybe a sweatsuit, as I recall, and extremely friendly. Yeah, no, he was always seemed very, very fun and and, uh, and hardworking. It was not, not what I had expected. You know, yeah. he was, uh, he rehearsed plenty. He would occasionally say something disparaging about acting, but he, but the the evidence of actually working with him was didn't seem that way at all. He he had a few awful things happen at, at home during that period, mm-hmm. so so there were days that were not great. But uh, but he was ninety nine percent of the time lovely, and even when he wasn't, it wasn't that he was ever mean to any of us. It's just that he, you know, you could see he was in a in a bad state. What's what's really cool is that Andrew Bergman did Honeymoon in Vegas. Yeah. Which is another wonderful movie that I think still holds up. Yeah. That connection. You and your wife both doing working with this guy's a great writer director. You know, it's he's the one who was like, You you should meet this Sarah Jessica Parker person, he kept telling me after he worked with her. So he wanted us to meet. Matchmaker. Yeah. <laughs> I just have to say this one quick thing. We were watching Election Over. We all really enjoy that movie and we read this fun fact that it's one of President Obama's favorite political movies. And I just thought, how cool is that? Oh, that's it could be cool. not true. Yeah. I don't know, but I think it's cool it might, and it should be true. Well, I don't know. Let's say it's true. I remember uh, I once did a, a uh, show and Michelle Obama was on it. And she took me aside to say how much they loved that movie. So that was, that must, that sounds true. It was very flattering. And um, I remember the... Uh, Holbrook, the ambassador of the United Nations, met him once, and he adored that movie, so uh, kept wanting to talk about it. And I think people in politics find it particularly uh, relatable or something. Maybe because it's called election. I don't know. There's a few things. <laughs> a few things in there. <laughs> One thing we ask everybody is, do you have a favorite flop on the Joe Allen flop wall? I like all of them. Um, I hate to pick a favorite, yeah. but um, I'm always curious by the Breakfast at Tiffany one. Always to see Mary Tyler Moore's name and Richard Chamberlain, I think. Just, you know, the nice thing about that wall, horrible as it is, is it it's sort of nice to know everybody has these flops. It's kind of comforting. I don't know why. I have some plays that should be up there. I'm kind of hurt that they're not. <laughs> I think one of them ran too long. <laughs> yes. Yeah, some of them ran long even if people hated them. <laughs> we should move on to the questionnaire. Like the James Lipton questionnaire, but with a lot of restaurant stuff thrown in. Good. I would rather that. That's a very intimidating. What? Who is God? <laughs> that's, that's, that's the kind of stuff that's not in this. Whatever comes into your head first. It's not not that deep. We promise. Um, I'll start off. Uh, what's your drink at Bar Centrale? Oh, 
that's already a very tough one. Um, I usually get a martini, a vodka martini. But sometimes I'll have a scotch and soda. I like scotch and soda because it makes me feel like Humphrey Bogart when I order that. What Any particular scotch that you prefer? Sometimes I like just an ordinary like black label Johnny Walker and soda because it's not fancy and it's good. I'm right there with you on that one. I'm right there with you on that one. It makes me feel real. Yeah, I had a friend who said, people who drink really only good coffee aren't real coffee lovers. That's right. <laughs> you got to be able to drink gas station coffee. And- yeah, that's a real coffee person. Maxwell House. You yeah. Know? Oh, I got to take that out because there are sponsors. Sorry, there, there are sponsors. Are sponsors. Oh, I love they give I love us so much food. money to do this podcast. I'm kind of complimenting them yeah. in a way. <laughs> because their coffee is the coffee that proves you like coffee. Coffee, yes. <laughs> yeah. All right, chock full of nuts. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? That's a good... I, I don't know. What the, I mean, I used to like drawing a lot, and so an artist sounds good. Uh, something not too complicated. I, I, I don't think I'd be great at a job that had I had to keep track of a million things. I used to think, wow, I wouldn't mind being like a limousine driver. But I think I would mind that, because I would be sitting too much. Um, yeah, I don't have a great idea. I don't know even why I became an actor. But that, that's a different question, I guess. That one's not on the list. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I've said too much. What live performance floored you the most? I know I'm going to forget something, you know, but I remember watching my dad do House of Blue Leaves and loving that. And I remember seeing um, a play called Streamers when I was a teenager that Mike Nichols directed. And it was the first time I'd seen a play that actually scared the hell out of me. The violence in it even was terrifying. And uh, all the acting was, I thought, just another level that I had never really seen. So that comes to mind. Also, let me give a special mention to the Wiggles, who I saw at... Uh, I, I saw them in... Uh, the fruit uh, salad. Yummy, yummy. Yummy, yummy. My, that, they were great. They're I actually love, really I love good. Them. I love the Wiggles, yeah. What's your favorite dish at Barson Trolley? Didn't want their potato skins mm. for a while. Mm. Those They've are been good. Gone a while. I like they were the, great. Oh, and I like that grilled cheese with the, with the little bacon things on it. The little Fontina little and bacon grilled cheese. Mm. That yes, needs to come back. Good, they'll, they'll hear this and delicious. they'll bring those back. Favorite menu item at Joe Allen? I like the burger, I think is great. The french fries are great. Uh, the meatloaf. Mm-hmm. God, I like everything there, to be honest. I think. I must have had a few bummers, <laughs> but I don't remember. <laughs> had so many Johnny Walkers at that point. I'm like, oh, that's, that seemed okay to me. I don't know. What's your favorite curse word? Oh, um, gee. I, can I, but I can't say it, right? You can say anything you want. Really? Yep. Well, fuck is the one I use most. It's kind of a classic. Yeah. (laughs) If you could invite anyone to join you for a perfect New York evening of Broadway and dinner at Joe Allen, who would you invite? Alive? Doesn't have to be. Some people have brought people back from the dead, for sure. Oh, might be fun to do that with Ethel Merman. Or uh, let me think of somebody else. Um, Did you ever meet Ethel Merman? No. No, I didn't. But I love Ethel Merman. Um, that's a really good question, but I'm not allowed to pass. Uh, <laughs> I would go with Richard Pryor to a show and go to That Joe would be Allen. really fun. Then you can use all of your favorite curse words. <laughs> yeah. Okay, Richard Pryor. 
Pick one word to describe how you feel about Joe Allen and the establishments. Uh, history. Um, well, that's how do you put it into one word? But just a great time. It's a great time is two words. Um, I need a lot of more words. <laughs> that's a great answer. And I want to buy a vowel. History, I totally understand what, where you're coming from. Yeah, I love it. And I love when... when uh, when I would see Joe there in his nice cashmere sweater, it was so cool. Cool would be a word, too. Something's just so cool about him. He looks so good always. And uh, I just thought he was so elegant and like the pinnacle of New York theater world, you know, thrilling. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. We, we really, it was wonderful to talk to you and thank you for sharing all this. Nice to talk to you, too. We like to close with a toast since we're having cocktails at table seven. So let's raise a glass to good friends, great nights at the theater, and cocktails at table seven. Cheers. 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 Cocktails at Table 7 is produced by Jason Woodruff, Dana Mirlock, and Sean Kent, with theme music by James Rubio and logo design and artwork by Christina D'Angelo. Special thanks to the owners of Joe Allen, Orso, and Bar Centrale Restaurants. You're still listening? Why? The show's over. Go home. It's over. Go home. Jim? Jim, what are you doing here? I don't have any more. Go home.